So let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to study verses 8 through 11 today. Wow, 8, 9, 10, 11. Four verses. That's amazing. But as we open, I'm going to go back and read beginning in verse 5 because it all just kind of flows together and I want to get the flow before we go further. So let's read that beginning in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this fantastic book of Second Peter, this letter that he wrote, not to just the believers of his time, but for all generations. Lord, we ask you to bless this study this morning. Just open up the understanding of this passage, Lord, to our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit. Lord, quicken the understanding of what you're trying to tell us here today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, if these things, verse 8, what things? We know what things. It's the things we just read again. The virtue, the knowledge, the self-control, the perseverance, the godliness, the brotherly kindness, the love, or agape. If these things, if, are yours. And again, this indicates a personal choice. When you came to Christ, when you received Christ, when you acknowledged Him as your Lord and Savior, you made a choice, didn't you? My suspicion is no one held a gun to your head, right? Nobody put you in a half Nelson. Now God, more than likely, was doing some things in your life that might have encouraged you to look His way. Do we know what that's like? But you chose. And then conversely, or in, actually in the same manner, going forward, adding to our faith these virtues is also a choice. If these things are yours. If you take hold of them. Remember what we read in verse 5, also for this very reason, giving all diligence add to your faith. So what does that tell us? All that's required for us to become beneficiaries of God's forgiveness, God's salvation, God's gift of eternal life is simply to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, as Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But to add to our faith requires diligence, all diligence. If these things are yours, and abound. That means to have or to possess in great quantity. So not only does Peter encourage us, and again it's God speaking through Peter, it's the Holy Spirit 
encouraging us to add these seven things to our faith, Peter's hope and his prayer and God's desire is that we would abound in them. We would possess them in great quantity. And again, this speaks of diligence. These seven things are not only to be added to our faith, they are to continually increase in us the longer we walk with God. Peter says, if these things are yours, if you lay hold of them, again, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Spirit of God. And I've said this many times, God empowers right choices. I think sometimes people are reluctant to make a good choice, a good decision, because they're afraid they won't be able to follow through on it. Can anybody relate to that? And I think some people hold back on making a commitment to Christ. In fact, I've heard people say this. I don't want to do it until I'm sure I can really follow through on it. But you know what? It doesn't work that way. Because we're not the ones who do it. He does it. We step out on faith. We confess Christ by faith. And then the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us and He begins that lifelong process of transforming us by the renewing of our minds, molding and shaping us into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I sure wouldn't want that job, would you? Only God can handle that one. If these things are yours and abound, then Peter says you will you will be neither barren nor unfruitful. So the first, Peter uses two analogies here. The first one has to do with giving birth, barren. Now he's speaking of, you know, this was um, a real issue for women in biblical times because it was viewed by them, by their husbands, by their society and their culture that their most important and primary function was the bringing forth of human life. Now in today's world, that sounds negative, sexist, misogynist, blah, 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 right? But you know what? It's actually true. Now that's not to disparage women who have chosen not to have children or who are unable to have children. But without women bringing forth new life, None of us would be here today. The human race would have disappeared long ago, so I think we can easily make the case that bringing forth human life is of great importance and high priority. And so we remember Hannah, Samuel's mother, was tormented by the fact that she could not bear a child. She cried out to God, and she got her miracle. She became pregnant with Samuel one of the greatest men to ever walk this planet. So Peter uses this analogy, you will neither be barren. He uses it in connection with living a productive life in Christ. And I would say that next to the worship of God, that should, that's our highest priority as believers. I know some people would say, well, it's evangelism, it's this or it's that. It's feeding the poor and so forth, giving shelter to the homeless. The number one priority for every believer should be 
worshiping God. We are here to be His worshipers before the whole world. But next to that, I would say perhaps our most important purpose here on earth, again, then would be evangelism, if you want to call it that, or giving birth to other children into the family of God. Not just our biological children. Certainly we have that responsibility to train them up in the ways of the Lord. But Peter uses this analogy. If these things are yours and abound, if you possess them in great quantity, you will neither be barren. You will not be someone who does not birth others into the kingdom of God. And so not possessing these seven attributes would make this proposition difficult, if not impossible. We know that every species reproduces after its own kind. Of course, man's trying to manipulate that and mess with that, but that's the created order of things, and that's why when Noah was instructed by God, bring two of every kind, in some cases even more, onto the ark, so that after the flood and they got off the boat, they would then be able to reproduce after their own kind. So we can only reproduce others that are like us. And so, if we're abounding in these seven things, if we've added to our faith, then we'll be able to reproduce others who will then become disciples of Christ, children of God, part of God's forever family. You will, you will be neither barren you will be someone who is fruitful in that regard. And then he uses the word fruitful, which is really, of course, an agricultural analogy. First, we have the procreation analogy, the giving of birth, and then the idea of fruitfulness. And so, indicating that without possessing and abounding in these seven things, we would be unfruitful believers. Again, we're not saved by our works, but our works are a good measure of what kind of faith we truly possess. John 15, 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me, which means to live in me. Abiding in Christ means that you live in him and with him. He lives in you. It's a 24-7 relationship. He becomes our dwelling place and we become His dwelling place. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. So He's the vine. We're the branches. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. Now, many years ago, I guess this was the Holy Spirit. I certainly took it that way, but I identified with Philippians 4.13 as my life verse. I don't know how, how many of you have a life verse, but it's kind of cool to have a life verse. I think you could ask God to give you one, and He would. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, this is the other side of that coin. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so when we talk about adding to our faith, it's not a work of the flesh. It's a work of the Spirit. 
But again, he's emphasizing the importance of bearing not just fruit, but much fruit. That ties right into abounding. We have another word, bounty, which speaks of being plentiful, plenteous. When you uh, gather for a, a family Thanksgiving dinner or Christmas dinner or whatever it might be and the table's just full of food, that's a bounty, isn't it? You're abounding in food. Here, it's a matter of being fruitful for the kingdom of God. In verse 8 of John 15, Jesus said, By this is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. And by the way, when you go back to Galatians, which we read last week, Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, agape. And then we have all the other descriptions. Joy, peace, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, and so forth. My Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. Now, when you go into somebody's backyard and, you know, they have a garden and so forth and they've been planting flowers and vegetables and different things and they're all kind of withered up and brown and... Are you impressed by that? <laughs> How do you like my garden? Oh, well, very nice. Very nice. But man, when you go back there and everything is lush and green and fruitful and you go, wow, now this person has a green thumb, right? It's the same thing with us as believers. Our Father's glorified when we bear much fruit. You know, they've got that new uh, Christopher Robin movie coming out of you. You need to see the previews. Looks really good. Looks like a good, wholesome, healthy family movie. But the character in the Winnie the Pooh series that always cracks me up is Eeyore. Oh, boy. Oh, my. And he's always, you know, everything's a bummer. You know Eeyore? Do you think that we as believers should look like and act like Eeyore? And yet sometimes we do, if we're honest. Who's the eternal optimist in the group? Well, Winnie the Pooh, but Tigger. Well, you need more Tiggers out there for the kingdom of God. Bouncing around, excited, exuberant, electrified, right? Even if he's a little irritating at times. Gee, I think I can identify with Tigger. Not unfruitful. You will neither be barren nor unfruitful. Again, I want to focus on this term, much fruit, in John 15, 8. It really equals abounding. There's a direct connection between abiding. How did we start off here in John 15, 4? Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. There's a direct connection between abiding and abounding. So if we want to be open, honest, objective about our own spiritual lives which really impact every area of our lives. It's all interconnected. As goes your spiritual life, goes your mental, emotional, and physical life, really. It's all interconnected. But if we look at our lives, if we can be honest, if we can, like David said, search me, O God, know my heart. David gave the Holy Spirit permission to search his heart and to show him the things that were in there that he had buried. We all do that, don't we? We all tamp down the things that we don't want to look at, 
that we don't want to think about, that we don't want to deal with. And yet David, David wasn't perfect by any means, but God said, he's a man after my own heart. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so if we can objectively, with God's help, look at our own lives and say, well, you know what, I don't, maybe I'm not abounding as much as I should be. I think I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but a real burden on my heart has been the fact that for all of us as believers, and the crazy thing about this is, in spite of all the problems in our nation, we still are blessed to live in the greatest nation on God's green earth. And we still, at least for the time being, have more freedoms. And yet, it seems like we as believers don't have the joy that we ought to have. In Romans it says the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not a matter of physical things. But joy, peace, and righteousness a righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Three vital elements of our inheritance in God's kingdom. Joy, peace, and righteousness. And we probably need to see more of all of that in our lives, don't we? The joy, the peace, and the righteousness. But the joy of the Lord is our strength. The Bible says we have to be able to recognize that we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, no believer should ever find themselves under the circumstances. Have you ever said that or heard somebody say that? Hey man, how's it going? Oh, not too bad, under the circumstances. What are you doing under there? You're supposed to be above the circumstances. And I'm not preaching some kind of word of faith, you know, name it and claim it message here. I'm just telling you the truth that's in the Bible. If we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, as Paul writes, is God's word true? If God says we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, then where are we? How can we be under the circumstances if we're up there with him? Right? And so, that should mean that we are abounding in joy. Not because of circumstances, but in spite of them. Because God's in control. God's in control of my life. He wants only the best for me. That should give us joy, regardless of what's going on around us. And so that brings us to the last part of verse 8. Let's read verse 8 again. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've discussed previously, when Peter talks about the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's not speaking merely of intellectual understanding. He's speaking of intimacy, to know God, to know Him personally and intimately, this knowledge that comes from abiding The people that we know best are the ones that we live with, right? That we spend time with. 
we make our judgments and our assessments of people based upon momentary encounters or brief encounters. And oftentimes, unfortunately, because of that, we misjudge people, don't we? And then when we have the opportunity to get to know them better, spend more time with them, we find out they're, they're totally different than what we thought they were. And in many cases, they're a lot better than we thought they were. They're a lot nicer than we thought they were. Or maybe it's the opposite. Because oftentimes, the ones that people are drawn to, the charismatic, magnetic, dynamic, that people are drawn to, when you get real close, you find out, ooh, I don't think I want to go there. And then people that are reserved, quiet, laid back. And sometimes we mistake that for rudeness, lack of friendliness, and so forth. When the fact of the matter, really, they're just, they're shy, right? But we judge them on these first impressions and outward appearances People do that with God, too. Do you know that? They make judgments about God based upon misinformation, the opinions of others, outward appearance. If God's such a loving God, why are all these th horrible things happening in the world? Because this loving God has given man free will and choice, and man has messed it all up. That's why. And because, by the way, the Bible says, because of the fall of man, the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, Satan is the prince of this world. If you're looking for somebody to blame, he's the one. But it's easier to make a snap judgment about God. Well, he may, if he's real, if he really exists, and he made all this, then he blew it. No, he didn't blow it. We blew it. The devil blew it. It's kind of like that old Popeye cartoon. Bluto done it. You remember that? Bluto done it. Remember that, you old, old folks? Bluto done it. It's the, that was a frog blowing the whistle. More trivia. TV trivia from the past. <laughs> I am what I am. <laughs> okay. The knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why even though you can get saved, you can be forgiven of your sins, it's a gift of God, it's by grace, through faith. Never go to church a day in your life, never read your Bible once, and still go to heaven. Man, you're, <laughs> you're walking a tightrope there. And you're never going to abound in these things. You're going to be barren, you're going to be unfruitful. And you might be kind of, you know, looking for a back row seat when we get up there. We need to grow in the grace of the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to earn our salvation, but to prepare ourselves for eternity. And also to be fruitful and procreative here in this life. Alright, verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted. How many of you here today are short-sighted? Yeah? You wear glasses. You can, that means you can see up close but not far away, right? Short-sighted. Near-sighted. Same thing. Short-sighted. Well, Peter says, if you lack these things, you're short-sighted. 
And the fact of the matter, I think we all know this, most people live for and in the moment, right? The here and now. More and more we see this with every new generation. And not considering the ramifications, the eternal ramifications of their lifestyle. Because if more people were really seriously looking at that, the long term, the long range, the big picture, they probably would live differently, right? They're not looking at the eternal ramifications of their lifestyle. He who lacks these things is short-sighted. Noah Webster gives us some good definitions of being short-sighted. Not able to see far, having limited vision. In a literal sense, not able to look far into the future. Now, guess what? We have a guidebook that helps us to look really far into the future. It's called eternity. God has graciously given us the whole story. But the short-sighted person is not able to look far into the future, not able to understand deep things. Interesting. Short-sightedness results in an inability to understand deep things. And I think we all can see. Go back and read some of the classic writings over the last few hundred years or thousands of years. And we can see, if we're honest again, we can see the shallowness that has engulfed the human race. You see that? The depth that's not there. Why? Because more and more people have become short-sighted. They can't see far into the future. And yet we're easily able to do that if we yield our lives over to God allow his spirit to come and live inside of us then we can see on into eternity and we can realize that this life is just a vapor it's just a moment and the big picture is eternity oh listen to this obviously Noah Webster was not what we call politically correct he says not able to understand deep things now, this reminds me of someone that Donald Trump recently criticized. Noah Webster says to be short-sighted is to be of limited intellect. I believe it was this uh, Maxine Waters that Donald Trump said was a low IQ individual. So Donald's in good company because Noah Webster said it too. When you're short-sighted, you are of limited... Now, none of us want to be put in that category, do we? I'm sorry, but you're of limited intellect. None of us want to be put in that category. And yet, if we are short-sighted, if we're not adding to our faith these seven virtues, that indicates that we're living in the moment, the here and now. We're not looking ahead. We're not seeing the big picture. Here are some synonyms. You know what synonyms are, right? means the same as. For short-sighted, unthinking, heedless, careless. To be short-sighted is to be careless. Now Peter says, he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. Folks, the whole purpose of receiving Christ 
is to have our blinded eyes opened. I don't know about you guys, but I can definitely, even though I became a Christian as a young boy, spent my earlier years in the church, then spent a period of time away from the church, and then came back. At the age of 17, that was the real pivotal point for me. When I recommitted my life to Christ, I'm on the edge of adulthood. And at that point, between 7th grade when I left the church, 11th grade when I came back to the church, I had drifted farther and farther into the world, into the thinking of the world, the philosophies and wisdom of men. But when I came back, that's when the light switch really went on. And it was just like coming out of the darkness into the light. My whole way of thinking shifted overnight. Because like most young people, I'd become pretty liberal. You know, I staged a big Vietnam War protest there in Scottsdale, just across the street from my high school. I wanted to be cool. I wanted to be a liberal. I wanted to be a radical counterculture. But the minute I... Ex rededicated my life to Christ and gave God control of my life, the light switch went on. My thinking changed overnight. I think that's how it's supposed to work. But Peter says, even to blindness. Remember the old, we, we sing it from time to time, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see, Right? Luke 4.18, when Jesus stands up in the synagogue at the beginning of his public ministry to read from the book of Isaiah, he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, the poor in spirit, the broken, those who realize they need God, they need help, they need salvation. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, and he's not just talking about the physical blind, although he did heal those who were blinded. He's speaking even more about the blind, the spiritually blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Now, I want to make a point here. Remember, Peter is writing to believers who have faith. Because he says, now add to your faith these things. So it should be of great concern to us, I think, in light of this verse 9, that it would appear that it's possible for us as believers to digress to a state of blindness. We were brought out of blindness. We were brought out of darkness into light. But it apparently, if Peter's concerns are genuine, and I believe they are. It's possible for us to digress to a state of blindness if we fail to grow in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and to possess the seven qualities Peter tells us we must add to our faith. You heard me use this analogy a couple of weeks ago, and then somebody repeated it back to me, so I guess it stuck with somebody at least, that the Christian life is like riding a bicycle uphill, right? As long as you keep pedaling, some people are going to get to the top quicker than others. But as long as you keep pedaling, you're making progress. How many of you do mountain biking? Anybody? Chris Woolley. 
Of course. He's so slim and trim. My cousin Jim, who used to pastor Calvary Chapel, Scottsdale, avid mountain biker. And the hardest part is probably pedaling uphill. The scariest part is going downhill. Right, Chris? <laughs> Things can really get out of control when you're going downhill. But it can be difficult going uphill, but as long as you keep pedaling, eventually you will get there. But the scary th thing is, Peter is warning us that it's possible to digress and to even, even to blindness. And actually, that happened to King David, although God woke him up again. But when he did his great sin with Bathsheba, he had become comfortable. Everybody wants to be comfortable, right? And you, the Word of Faith movement promotes this idea that the perfect Christian life is when you never had any problems because you confess them all away. You name and claim all the good stuff and you refuse to accept the bad stuff and you should never be sick. You should never be poor. You know about these doctrines, these teachings? The only problem with it is not biblical. And it's really not good because the most dangerous place to be as believers is that place of being too comfortable. Right? David was at his best when he was on the run from King Saul. He was a lean, mean fighting machine. But in his middle years, he'd conquered all of his enemies. He'd built his palace. He had his wives. He had it all. And so he decides, you know, I'm not going to go out to war this year. It's the time of, time of year when kings go out to war. I'm going to let Joab handle it. I'm just going to hang here at the palace and kick back. And lo and behold, he looks out over the terrace. And there's a beautiful woman bathing. And normally when beautiful women bathe, they don't wear anything. Right? So we know what happened from there. David digressed. He got too comfortable. And so, even though we do live in the greatest nation in the world, one of our greatest stumbling blocks is our prosperity, our success, our blessings, just like ancient Israel. Again, when they were fighting their enemies, they were strong and they prayed all the time. How many of you pray a lot when you have problems? And I won't ask for a show of hands. But how many of you don't pray so much when you don't have any problems or you don't think you have any problems? We tend to forget about God. We don't want to digress, do we? And it's good to be aware of the fact that we can, that it's possible as a believer. The goal is to progress, to abound. But it's possible to digress and that's not a good place to be. And especially this next part where Peter says, even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Now, I don't think this means that he now is very worried that maybe he's not forgiven after all. That can happen when someone digresses in their faith. But my suspicion is that it's more about forgetting that you ever needed to be cleansed. 
The Bible says, remember the pit from which you were dug. Part of digressing. What I've learned in my own life and from reading the great writers, great men and women of the faith who have written on these topics is that progressing means becoming more and more aware of your own sinfulness. That sounds contrary to the way we would think, doesn't it? We would think, oh, progressing means, hey, I'm good. Like the, like the Pharisee who went to the altar to pray, and he says, God, thank you that I'm not like that vile, rotten, wretched man over there. Thank you, God, that I'm so wonderful, I'm so perfect. That's digression. Progression, abounding, means you're becoming more and more aware of how sinful you are and more and more aware of how awesome God is. He's forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Peter seems to be telling us here that it's possible if we are not diligent to return to a state not unlike the one we were in before we came to Christ. And I'll bet you anything you've seen that happen in people's lives. I'll bet you anything many of you here today know someone who at one time appeared to have a vibrant walk with Christ and now they've digressed and it's almost like they never got saved in the first place. And a question we all need to ask ourselves regularly, are we in danger of becoming like this through a lack of diligence? Of course we are. That's why we must be diligent. The Nelson Study Bible puts it this way. Concerned only with this present life, such a person becomes blind to the things of God, forgetting the wonderful sense of cleansing that comes from turning oneself over to Christ. Boy, that couldn't have said it any better. I want to read it one more time. This is in reference to what Peter says here, that this person has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Concerned only with his present life, such a person becomes blind to the things of God, forgetting the wonderful sense of cleansing that comes from turning oneself over to Christ. If we are not diligent, it happened to any one of us. Verse 10, Therefore, brethren, in light of the fact that it is possible to return to a state of blindness regarding what Christ has done in our lives, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent. So it seems like it's impossible for Peter to overemphasize the importance of constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken. That's the definition of diligence. Constant effort to accomplish what is undertaken. And yet it's amazing how many times believers take on this attitude, God has failed me, God has let me down, when truth be told, we are the ones who were not diligent. God did His part. He sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit to live within us. He gave us the power of the Holy Spirit, His Word, the truth of His Word. He's given us everything, as we've read in Peter's writings, pertaining to life and godliness. So where did God go wrong? Where did God blow it? He didn't. He hasn't. We are the ones who have not been diligent to add to our faith. Be even more diligent. 
specifically concerning our walk, our relationship with God, to reach the finish line, to make your call and election sure. I love this call and election. God sends out a call to everyone, really. God so loved the world. God's not willing that any should perish. The call goes out to everyone, but those who respond to the call become part of his elect. I love that word elect because that means God voted for you and he voted for me. Can you believe that? Would you have voted for you? Would I have voted for me? Probably not. Thank God that he's God and we're not. You're calling an election. And this speaks of having confidence that you're truly a child of God to make your call and election sure. And again, I can guarantee you, anyone who's not adding to their faith and growing in their faith and instead is digressing is not going to be confident. It really doesn't matter if you want to talk about once saved, always saved, if you want to talk about Calvinism, Arminianism. If you're not confident, that's a problem. Jesus died that you could be confident, that you could have an assurance of salvation, that you could know that you know that you know. Failure to add to our faith and abound in these things will result in a lack of assurance regarding our salvation and eternal destination. That's why it's vitally important that we are diligent to add to our faith, to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're either going uphill, and that's not easy. Nobody said it was. But it's a lot better than going downhill. Charles Ryrie says, To make certain about our calling and election, or choosing, is to confirm one's profession of faith by godly living. And James talks about that. He says, Faith without works is dead. And he says, I'll show you my faith by my works. Finally, verse 11. For so an entrance will be supplied to you. Now, an entrance into what? Entrances, by the way, are for those who go the distance. The only way you can use the entrances here on that side or that side is you got to get here, right? You got to get in your car, get on your bike, get on your motorcycle, however you choose to do it. But the entrances are for those who actually show up, who actually get here. When you use an entrance, it's because you've reached your final destination. Those who make the journey to the designated destination, for so an entrance will be applied, supplied to you abundantly. So again, abundantly and abounding are interconnected. Abundantly means fully, amply, plentifully, in a sufficient degree. Abundant, to have or possess in great quantity. It's just like abounding. An entrance will be supplied to you abundantly. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I've come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly or to the full. Where is this entrance? It's into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We talked about short-sightedness. Here Peter gives us the long-sighted view 
as opposed to the short-sighted one. This is the end game, abundant entrance into God's eternal kingdom. Charles Ryrie says, A Christian life that can be rewarded will provide that abundant entrance into heaven. And I'll close with this verse, Matthew 25, 21. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. You added to your faith. You abounded in these things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And I'm certain, as, we, as I stand here this morning, and you sit here this morning, this is the abundant entrance that we all hope for and long for, is it not? Let's stand and we'll pray together. Father, once again we're amazed at just the, the riches and the depth of your holy scriptures. The things that you have embedded within your Bible, your holy Bible. The scripture of the Old and New Testament. Lord, it's so exciting to just mine the depths of your word. And Lord, we saw today that how short-sightedness prevents us from being able to understand deep things. But we thank you that you've given us your Holy Spirit. You said you would send him to us, the counselor, the comforter, to guide us and lead us into all truth. Thank you for the amazing dose of truth you've given us today. And Lord, we thank you that these things that you've called us to be diligent in, that you've not left us alone to, to do this on our own, but you've promised that if we would ask you, you would give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, it's not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And as we yield our lives over to you and allow your Spirit to take control, your Holy Spirit will lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, as we close, I pray that anyone here today who feels the need to come for prayer, to be strengthened, to be encouraged, perhaps to make a fresh commitment to you, Lord, a fresh start. We thank you that you're a God of new beginnings, fresh starts, second chances, third chances, fourth chances. You never give up on us. So I pray, Lord, for anyone desiring and needing prayer today, whether it's for issues regarding what we've talked about this morning, whether it's for health issues, wisdom, guidance, direction, finances, health. Lord, we know that you care about every aspect of our lives. We talked about the miracles today. Lord, the only thing that keeps us from experiencing your miracles is to ask, to reach out, to call upon your name. So I pray that anyone and everyone who needs prayer would come today as we close and that you would pour out your blessings upon them and that the rest of us, as we just take these final moments to worship at your feet, you would pour out your Holy Spirit, Lord, and bless this benedictory part of our service, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.